As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you all for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. You're joining us in the month's theme of building connection and community. And I'm so glad that you've been on this journey with us. I have the opportunity today to be sitting with Dan Colone, the head of learning and development from Cincinnati Bell. Dan and I have gotten to know each other maybe over the last four or so years. Dan, you can correct me when we get into there. And have felt Dan was one of the early voices that I and leaders that we brought the Talent Magnet Institute to as we were kind of journey mapping what this looked like for organizations and leaders. And Dan is such a humble character, a powerful learner, and a big mind that I'm excited to share with all of you today. So, Dan, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate the introduction. I'm really happy to be here and excited to talk about this today. Excellent. So, Dan, one of the things that you and I have a lot in common with is that we love the communities we serve in, right? That you're a leader who looks for ways to make an impact. And work is a way to accomplish that, but you also have a lot of personal desires around community and global impact. Can you share with our listeners what it is like to lead an ERG group? You lead the Hispanic ERG group inside of Cincinnati Bell. How did you get into that position? What is an ERG group for those listeners that might not have heard of that yet? And just kind of share with us what your goals are and what you're seeking to accomplish through that work. Just a little bit of background. So I'm the first in my family born in the U.S. My parents both fled Cuba in 1960 and came to the U.S. I was born and my whole upbringing was... I was exposed to what it was like to be a newcomer in a new country and not have English be your first language, struggling to sort of make sense of the system. And, you know, my family was really helped a lot by this country. And the fact that, you know, I'm here sitting with you today, having this conversation is a testament to the fact that of how much this country has done for me and my family to be able to be here. So for me, this is something that I want to pay back. I feel like it is my duty to help others that are in a similar situation as my family was. And so that's the reason why I have been passionate about being involved in the Hispanic community and in the community of Cincinnati, just to help in any way I can those folks that are seeking a better life. And that's why I'm here. That's the genesis of the Hispanic ERG. For those that don't know what an ERG is, it's an employee resource group. And it's a term that's used, I think, along, around the industry. And an ERG is basically a group of employees that get together and they are around a common theme or a common topic. So the group that I helped start was the Hispanic Employee Resource Group. 
Cincinnati Bell. And frankly, Cincinnati in general doesn't have a lot of Hispanics compared to, say, California or Texas. We do have some, and we do have a Hispanic community in Cincinnati that is quite substantial, and it's, and it's growing every year. Uh, so it's a fast-growing segment of our population. And so for us, the Employee Resource Group was a way to connect with other Hispanic employees, but also to make an impact with our community. And, you know, many of our customers are Hispanic. And so for us to be able to make a positive impact and help those customers, for example, or, or the community is a great thing. And so at the very beginning, we started working with a number of different organizations in town. We partnered with the Anthony Munoz Foundation, which is a fantastic organization. They're doing really good things. And the Anthony Munoz Foundation, when we were talking to them, we said, look, we really wanted to work with students, youth. And the way it worked out is they connected us to a school named Roberts Padilla Academy, which is located in Price Hill section of Cincinnati, which for those of you that don't know, that area is is one of the lower income areas of the city. And it's a pocket where there's a lot of Hispanics that live in that area from Guatemala, from Mexico, from a lot of places. And so the school there that serves that community is about 80% Hispanic, I believe, uh, is, is the number. So, you know, we thought, oh, great, this is a school that we can start working with. And our group started to reach out to them and have a relationship with that school. We brought in students to our, our business. And we did that as a way to help give these kids a way to see what their future could be. You know, many of these children live in families where their parents are working more blue-collar jobs and maybe are frontline workers and don't, don't really know kind of what's out there. All they see is sort of what their parents do, and which is great. But there's a lot you can do in this country. Now that you're here, you have all these opportunities. You, know, you should really be exposed to that. So what we ended up doing was we took those students through sort of a career day, if you want to call it that, where we had different members of our company do 15-minute presentations on what their job is about. Now, these kids, mind you, are anywhere from third grade to seventh grade. So, you know, kind of prime area for kind of knowing, you know, what is out there, what's going on. We brought these kids in. We did these presentations. You know, for example, I'm in digital marketing, and I create websites. And for me, I need to be comfortable with science and technology. And I also need to be very creative in my job. And and then somebody else might come up. They said, one gentleman, the field technician, said, I'm a field technician. I go to your house and I install fiber optic cable and I get your internet set up. And for me, you got to be very flexible. You got to be able to think on your feet. You've got to spend a lot of the day working with customers. So you have to have good relations with people. So again, this was sort of an effort to try to, to give the kids an idea of the careers that are out there. And then what kinds of skills does it take to actually do a good job in that career? And that really opened a lot of eyes with these kids. I was joking with Mike when I was, sometimes these kids would come in and it was their first time in an elevator, for example, you know, and they just, wow, this is cool. I've never been in an elevator. These kids don't get a lot of experience to do that kind of thing. And so to give them that kind of a, of a view, I think helps them think long-term about what they might want to do in high school, college, post-college. 
starts the sort of the seed of that thinking. Dan, what's been the feedback from the employees who are participating in this effort? What's the feedback? What's the experience been like for them? The employees themselves, frankly, I was very heartened to see that every single employee was so excited about doing this. And when they were done, they asked, you know, hey, can you get us on the next one? If you're going to have the next one, I want to be in the next one. Because, And I know somebody else that wants to be in it too. So we kind of had to manage the, the request we had, which is great. Yeah. It's a great thing. Yeah. When you see the kids' eyes light up as you're describing your job and you're trying to explain your job in a simple way where elementary school child can understand it, it's, you know, and you see them react, it's really pretty cool. The teachers, the administrators at the school, are you, do you have much interaction with them? And what do they share as the impact? Yeah, I have some interaction with them. It's mostly through the Anthony Munoz Foundation okay. and a couple of key teachers, but they arranged for the kids' transportation to come to our office, gave them a tour of the building. We, you know, we gave them t-shirts and things that they could take home. And yeah, so. And I know for you and those that have been aware of the community needs as it relates to what we've all been through in the last nine, 10 months and what children are experiencing. I've been told that there's like this, you know, it's uh, one phrase has been kind of a blackout or students have gone silent because of lack of resources, lack of internet resources, communities that weren't served because people in the communities couldn't afford the resource, right? Yeah. Can you share a little bit that was an eye-opening experience for you with the students? And then we're going to dive into how big that project has become for you and your organization and many partners across our entire region. Yeah, sure. So this is really interesting. We were working very closely with Roberts Academy for a while. And then when COVID-19 hit, and probably around mid to late March, when all the employees were sent home to work from home, the whole U.S. at least was starting to really change the way they were doing work. So schools were, all the kids were sent home. And then the schools tried to do the best they could with what they had at the time to finish the school year. And I recall talking to, to some of the folks in our, in our employee resource group that, gosh, I wonder what's going on with Roberts Academy right now. And so probably a week after the whole uh, thing started, I had given a call to the folks there and just asked, hey, you know, how's everything going over there? You know, we know that the kids are all, have been sent home. The kids are, you know, learning from home now. Just wanted to see how things are going, if you guys are okay. And as we talked, they said, well, you know, things are, are going as well as could be expected given the situation. But there's a large percentage of students who just, we don't know anything about. We don't know where they are. We don't, they're not connecting in, into our classes. We're not able to reach them. We're not sure what's going on. And it's a sizable percentage of the students. And so as we started talking about that and digging deeper, we found out that one of the largest barriers was affordability and the fact that internet access was too expensive for many of the families. And so to me, that really lit a light bulb. My company, for those of you that aren't in Cincinnati, 
Cincinnati Bell is a uh, provider of internet connectivity, TV, and home communications technology. And so our business is to provide internet. So when I heard that, I thought, this is really the time where we can step up and we can make a difference, not just at this school, but in the whole region of the city. So I took that information to our, our executive team and shared with them. After I heard that, I started calling other schools too that I, I had contact with. And the same thing, they're all saying the same thing. We have a percentage of students who just aren't on. We don't know what's going on. And as we found that out, it was like, wow, this is, this is a moment that we can step up as the internet provider of the city to help families in this situation. So, yeah. And Dan, how did you approach when the executive team, was it just the first meeting, the time you brought the data, they were like, do whatever it takes? Or what did that process look like to start a movement, to create action, to gain partners, to gain internal support? Can you walk our audience through that experience that they may have had similar experiences or be prepping themselves for the next time they go through this process? Well, you know, for us, it was really a very clear, almost black and white kind of decision. You know, as soon as you start hearing that many of the students aren't connecting to school because they can't afford internet, and we are the internet provider for the city, you know, what else could you do but but to react? So for us, it was a very clear, very marked decision. The initial decision was really, okay, we got to do something. Let's look and see what we can do start working on it. So there was an internal team in the company that started being pulled together to look at what we could do. And we started with Robert's Academy, but then we ended up quickly transitioning to all of Cincinnati Public Schools, which is a school district of about 36,000 students, by far the largest district in Cincinnati. And it also has a very large percentage of students that are from low-income families. And so in talking to them, they were seeing the same exact thing. But on a district-wide level, you're talking thousands and thousands of students that are connecting to school. And so we saw the enormity of the situation of, you know, this is really affecting everybody in this area. So we closely partnered with Cincinnati Public Schools to develop something that could work for them. And our hope was if we could create a solution that worked for their students, that we could branch that out and carry it out to the region, to any other district that wants to participate with that same model. So that's how we started it. Incredible. And I know this is a national or even global challenge, right? Yeah. There's certain neighborhoods where I guess the cables weren't dropped because of affordability or maybe it was an economic decision that an organization decided not to move into that community, or the community has the resources underground, but the families can't afford to tap into it? That's right. That's right. Was there there infrastructure change that had to take place in order to get internet in these communities? Well, you know, infrastructure change is something that takes some time to do. Just to give you an example, you know, we have a large percentage of the city is covered in fiber optic connectivity with Fioptics, but it's certainly not all the city. And it's taken us about 10 years to get there. And the reason it's taken that long is because it's a lot of money and investment to try to replace 
copper and older networking technology with fiber optic cable. And so we knew that making a change in infrastructure wasn't going to be something that would help today or even this year. I mean, it's something that takes a long time. So luckily, we were able to provide internet service through fiber optic connectivity, through copper cable, through whatever. And almost every home has a copper connection. So we were able to, to utilize that to connect these students. The project, we started out with five pilot schools in Cincinnati Public School District and also a few pilot schools as well in Northern Kentucky. And at the same time this whole thing was going on, there was also a group of people, like-minded people that were in the community that were also thinking about what can we do for kids. And so we got connected with those people and brought in the United Way of Greater Cincinnati, the Greater Cincinnati Foundation, and started looking at, you know, what can we do as a community to help these people? Because even though we can provide internet, there's still a cost to it. It's not a big cost, but there's still a cost. And we estimated if we were to bring the price as low as we could, we could do $200 for a whole year of access for a student. Now, that's a pretty good deal, but $200 is still $200. It's still a lot of money for some families. And so in working with those community organizations, you know, we took care of the internet, the pipes, the plumbing. We got that working. But then we had a whole other group of volunteers that knew about fundraising and knew about how to connect with the community that helped us then raise money. They raised almost a million dollars, which is just incredible. This is a city that's very generous, as you know, Mike. I mean, the generosity in Cincinnati is, is incredible. And, and this is just another example of that. We have so many organizations that stepped up to give that having almost a million dollars means that all of the Cincinnati Public School District kids that needed it could get it for free now. They have to pay nothing. And now I think we're close to, I'd say, 8,000, 9,000 students that have been connected through the program which is really, really amazing. And, and if you look at some of the data that I've seen from Cincinnati Public about these connections and who's using them, it really is hitting the people that, that need it the most, that don't have money laying around. So it's been really heartening to see. And it's been great to have so many pockets of our community band together to say, okay, here, what we do really well is internet connections, so we'll take care of that. You guys do really well fundraising. You can work on that. And we all kind of divided and conquered with our expertise and came up with a program that we're able to roll out to the region. It's incredible. This year, when you think of the community needs, seeing tangible needs and tangible deployment, right? Like this is such a tangible resource that everybody can relate to, right? What if your internet access were disconnected from your home? And how would my three children be able to participate? They wouldn't be able to participate in any piece of schooling because everything's online. Yeah. So it's such a tangible need. And I'm co-chairing the Northern Kentucky region for United Way this year. And we have seen an outpouring. Once you start laying in the tangible request, you know, we had one client of our say, our company, they got back to us. Our company has decided to pay for internet for a hundred families, right? So we're making a $20,000 donation. And 
we've had three of those that have now equaled to that I've been a part of that's providing internet to 250 families through this program that you've created. So, and by looking at ways organizations too are trying to still volunteer, still give back, still support what's around their community, many are turning to what feels very tangible, right? We've provided, you know, a thousand meals for families who parents, either one or both have lost their jobs during this pandemic. We've provided Chromebooks to X amount of, you know, not every school district has one-to-one, yeah. right? So we've provided, you know, what is the need that we still need 400 devices? I mean, there, there still are schools waiting because of the backlog of technology that weren't one-to-one that still don't have devices yeah. fully deployed to their students. And then the internet access I mean, again, to all of those listening and, you know, to myself included, if you don't have internet, right? Yeah. How do you connect to anything? So I want to thank those organizations that have come behind this effort to support, to help get the funds created. And I also want to thank you and your leadership team and your team members for putting this into action, for recognizing the opportunity and the necessity and acting on it very swiftly, I might add you. I mean, you all got to this problem very, very quickly. You know, we knew that we couldn't probably help very much for the 2020 school year, the school year ending in June or so, because it, it was just you know, just a few months there. But our goal was to make sure that starting the school year in August or September, that we had everybody set up that needed to be set up. So we had a special group of technicians that were set aside we had all these people almost like an army reaction, you know, like in August, in July to make sure that, that we were setting everybody up to be able to start school in the fall as they needed. And you can just imagine, I mean, you know, we're talking today about school and about internet connectivity, but internet connectivity affects your entire life. As a parent who doesn't make a lot of money, the fact that you might have internet connectivity now Yes, your student can use it for school, but you know maybe that's something that you can do to connect, to learn online some new skill or to better your life somehow. We take so many things for granted when we have internet access. Until it's gone, you don't realize what the power is of that. And so being able to provide that to the students and their families really is, I think, something that eventually something needs to be done at a broader level, I think, governmental level to say, Internet is a requirement for everybody, just like a water, electricity. I feel that way because if not, what chances do you have to do so many things we do in life? You know, it's become really important. And so we're glad to do our small part to make that happen. But I think in the future, longer term, a lot more needs to occur. Absolutely. I mean, including work, right? I mean, think of how many individuals, I mean, we couldn't do our jobs if we didn't have access, yeah. right? So again, not taking that for granted. I know when people start saying, wow, I can support tangibly and say, I want to support X amount of families. I mean, do you all have a fundraising goal, Dan, or is this kind of an open-ended, we just need the re- we need more and more resources? Well, you know, frankly, we, the Greater Cincinnati Foundation, United Way, and all their partners raised so much money so quickly that 
I think the folks sort of said, whoa, wait a second, you know, we've got to make sure that we're using this money in the right way and we're really using it towards this effort. Right now, I think we're sitting pretty good from a fundraising perspective. But that money that was donated is covering internet access for this school year. And this school year ends in July or June or whatever it is. And then there's the next school year. And then so the next school year, what's going to happen? And will the government come in, step in and say, okay, we're going to help school districts with this cost? Or is the community or something going to step in to help? It really is sort of a gray area still on what's going to happen for the next school year. But but at least for this school year, the one that we're almost halfway through right now, we're pretty much covered. And is there legislation that your group, like government affairs, is working on with a group of other providers across the country to help move that to a priority list? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we, we do have a governmental affairs team and the gentleman that leads that team, I spoke to him the other day and he was saying that there's been a lot of discussion on both sides of the aisle about what to do with this situation. And frankly, not a lot is being done because of the pending presidential election. But now that that seems to be sorted out now, I think our sense is that things will start to get moving again. But exactly what comes out of Congress, it's really hard to tell. I mean, it's anyone's guess as to what, what ends up actually being passed by both you know, the House and the Senate and makes it to, to our community. But it is being discussed. We know that. And that's something that, that is heartening to hear. And, and hopefully we get something coming from the government at some point. Absolutely. Well, Dan, again, thank you for all that you're doing, all that your team's doing. And thank you to all of the partners who have rallied together to make this a priority. So kids aren't left behind. You know, I mean, it's a challenging year for all. And I think it's exciting to see employers recognizing the community need around this topic and, yeah. and responding so that our communities for the future, you know, there's not a, a void and gap of a whole generation that was just for two years didn't continue or pursue schooling, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. And I can't thank enough the United Way, the, the Greater Cincinnati Foundation, and all the partners that gave money, too many to name. I mean, they really... Even individual donors, you know, came in and it's just really, you know, great to see. And I think this is a great example of community coming together for a cause. But I also want to highlight the fact that this whole thing kind of started, at least from the Cincinnati Bell perspective, with an employee resource group that identified something that that needed to be corrected in the community and wanted to band the company around it. And so if people out there listening right now are thinking, you know, well, that's great, but what can I do? What way can I serve the community? I think the thing that I would point to is, is to say, think about what you and your business do that's unique. You know, so for example, my company, we're an internet provider. You know, that's really our bread and butter. And so, you know, for us, it was quite clear what we needed to do. You know, we're an internet provider. We have we have the ability. Nobody else has the capability. Very few companies have the capability that we do. So we need to step up and do something. And so from, you know, what can I do? What does your organization do that, that many others can't? And is that something that would be of value to the community or of value to others? And if so, then maybe that's the way that, that you provide 
you know, it, it could be, for example, if you're a manufacturer of, of certain goods and, and even, even providing those goods to community that needs them might not seem like that big a deal per se, but it is. You know, I think it's, if everybody does that, whatever company they work in, they have that mindset of how can we help? Before you know it, you've got these amazing solutions of things that have been done for the community and for people to help them through whatever they're going through. That was probably my biggest tip when I think of, of what can I do? Is what is your competitive advantage? What is it that you, know, you do really well that many organizations can't? Great. That's a great thought for all of us, right? What do we do that no one else can that could be an impact for the world around us or the needs around us that exist true in real time and that we're training our people to be in tune with that, yeah. right? Because that's how you build better communities and we want people to know, we want people to serve. I mean, your organization has so many of your organization's employees involved in the community so that everyone's in tune with what's going on and how they're having impact and, and think about the ripple effect if we're all listening what type of solutions we could really provide the world around us, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you're thinking through, and again, we may have just clicked on it because that was a powerful statement that will show up in the show notes. What would you like to leave the leaders with today as we wrap up this discussion? And you have an opportunity to, to put some call to action to them or share some things for them to focus on as we roll into the new year. Yeah, I think what I would say is, Find a way to make an impact in your company, in your community. And it doesn't have to be a very big thing necessarily. And what's interesting is this example that we just talked about today started out with a relationship of tutoring and helping kids at a school. And now, as impactful as that is, I mean, I, I, I love doing that. That was a great Great thing. It was a lot of fun to see the kids' eyes kind of light up and to see them react the way they did. But you don't, you never know when something like that can turn into something else and you're able to provide even more of an impact, a positive impact to the community. So I would say, is, as a challenge, is to think about is there something that you can do, however small it might be, to start to make an impact with those in the community that could use your help? And maybe it starts with the company. What impact can be done in the company with other employees and then spreading it from there? It's almost like getting the pedal to roll at the top of the hill. And as it rolls, it just keeps getting bigger. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, you know, we're doing all these things that we had no idea. And that's sort of what happened in this situation. And really, there's no reason why it couldn't happen to anybody else. Yeah. So let's all think about that, right? Let's keep our ears to the ground. Let's, let's ask. Let's identify. You know, again, I think I always here with volunteerism that absolutely it serves the humans who are being served through volunteer work, but that whole feeling for the employees and team members and seems to always be something that sometimes people are surprised by when they're just getting started, but how fulfilled it really makes them, which then in turn has the ripple effect on employee engagement, right? Employee happiness, employee sentiment that I'm making an impact beyond the four walls, the, the team and organization that I'm supporting. And once you catch that, it never goes away, right? We yeah. find that once leaders experience it, they continue to want to come back and, and make it to some, 
make it a requirement as much as you can, or at least very encouraged that all of our people be doing that in some way, big and small. I would say also, I just, just thought of this too, that I think might be useful for those people listening that lead companies or lead organizations. It's so much more impactful with the, when the employees themselves can come up with the ideas and organize, perhaps create employee resource groups if there aren't any in your, in your organization. It means so much more, and I think it has a lot more legs to it than if it's a directive coming from the head of, of the organization. What we found, our CEO, Lee Fox, has done a really great job of giving the entire company the ability to, to try things, to, to do whatever they can to, to help in their own special way. And I think that's a nice model for other organizations. If you're looking to give, instill more of that in your organization, start by asking employees, what are you passionate about? You know, what are the causes that you think are worth talking about? And, and letting those people get together and talk and plan and giving them maybe a little bit of budget to be able to do some events and some speakers or that kind of thing really starts that sort of organization-wide culture shift into more of a philanthropic, more of a, of a how can I help culture, which is, uh, which I think a lot of companies, you know, would love to have. And so I think that would be a nice, a nice tip for an organization leader that's thinking about, you know, how can I do this with my organization? Dan, thank you so much for your time today. I'm very much looking forward to our next conversation. I know that there's, I'm hearing the content and the themes that we're rolling out next year. And I know that you'll have some to tremendous amount of value to add to a couple of them. Also, thank you for being a part of our talent magnet community, helping us get to where we are today and allowing us to uh, provide support to you as well and your team. So to our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. I hope these are some things that strike you, that you carry with you, that you share beyond you and provide value to you and your organization in the coming year. So Dan, again, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Uh, our relationship has really been fantastic. It's one that I, I really enjoy connecting with you whenever I can. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to tell the story to your listeners, because I think it's something that that's just an example of what can happen if somebody, you know, really wants to truly help in the community. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you as well. And again, thank you for the time. I look forward to that next discussion. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team 
that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.